Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. It's the fundraising edition of River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. For most of the hour, we'll be listening back to a program from earlier this year, a show where we wrapped our minds around the experience of being homeless, having no permanent shelter, and we discussed the barriers preventing the unsheltered from finding a permanent dwelling. We'll hear from an Iowa man who was homeless off and on for some 15 years, Also, we'll discuss a study on the experiences of people in the greater Des Moines area who live unsheltered, people who live on the streets, or in places not intended for human habitation. But first today, we start with a tool that could be handy when shopping for the readers and book lovers on your holiday list. Here's IPR producer Caitlin Troutman to explain. With the sun setting early and the temperature dropping, we are reaching peak curl-up-with-a-book season. But with all the great recent titles out there, it can be difficult to know where to start. Luckily, the NPR Books team has us covered with the extensive Books We Love tool. NPR's Arts Desk reporter and Book of the Day podcast host, Andrew Limbong, is here now with me to discuss the list. Hey, Andrew. Yo, hey, Caitlin. What's up? Oh, you know, just excited to talk about books. (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) The NPR Books list, every single year, it's so thorough. It's so far-reaching. So before we Uh get into titles... How does the team go about developing this list? Yeah, so about like every early autumn, we've been doing this for like about a decade now. Um, And so early fall, you know, we send an email to our reporters, producers and our book critics. And, and, you know, we send the the fishing net far and wide um, asking for their favorite reads and like every interesting book that they've read. And so, yeah, we get this like glut of excited people, (laughs) as you can imagine, to be like, oh, I got to talk about this book. I got to talk about that book. Um, And then, yeah, we, we get this massive data dump and then we we winnow that down to a tidy list i think we're we're clocking in at more than uh 350 books this year oh um, wow yeah yeah and i just want to say i know that number you know sounds big <laughs> and huge and a lot um but for people who haven't seen our uh, books we love guide um there are these like handy dandy little filters on the side um to help you sort of like narrow down the picks so you can really find like your favorite book for you or you know someone you love Oh, yeah. I always reference it for holiday shopping. I know I'm not the only one who does that. So Uh how so how do you eliminate titles? Because that seems really difficult. (laughs) Yeah, it's um, I I, I think it's it's fair to say it's it's a conversation, right? Um, The boring answer is hours long Zoom meetings over Excel spreadsheets. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, But the but the more the more, I guess, you know, feelings core answer is it, it is a conversation about like what's going on in the zeitgeist, um, what's, you know, not just critically popular, um, but like books that deserve attention, uh, books that have some weight and all that stuff. And so, yeah, I, I think it's different from other year end lists because it's not definitive by definition, by design. It's not like here's here's the in group, here's the out group. It's more like um, inviting everyone in. And here's like here's just a bunch of different books uh, recommended by a bunch of different people with a bunch of different tastes. Lovely. All right. So let's talk about some of the books that you're most excited about. Where would you like to start? Um, You know, let's see. Let's uh, I think let's I'm just let's do some real time. Let's do uh, so one of the most popular filters is the staff pick. So let's go to staff picks Um, uh, and then let's do I like so my favorite tag 
is um we have these rather long and rather short tags <laughs> um i i like doing like the rather the rather short stuff um just because you know you, you kind of like get being able to knock out a read um and so i i think one one of the books on this list was a uh, recommended by um pop culture happy hour co-host glenn wilden it's called uh, the male gaze uh by manuel betancourt um and it's this collection of essays about like male desire and like being like like gay and and interfacing with pop culture in a way of looking at like the male body as like a sexual like thing and and a device for attraction and what that says about politics and like queer culture today um and stuff like that and and i think there's a couple um interesting just looking at the raw list there's a couple different threads that you can draw out here, right? And so there's been a few interesting looks at pop culture, at the culture we consume. I guess we can, if you want to be highfalutin about it, we can call it like cultural criticism or <laughs> whatever, which is like a lot of authors thinking deeply about the, the things that we consume and what it says about us. All right. So that's The Male Gaze by Manuel Betancourt. Yeah. How about a fiction pick? Um, one of my favorite books uh, this year, um, speaking of the, those like threads that we draw, right? Um, there was a lot of climate change books. And, and when I say climate change, there were some like reported science driven books about climate change, right? Um, you know, off the, you know, off the top of my head, there was um, Fire Weather uh, by John Valiant about um, fires going on in Fort McMurray, Canada, the wildfires there. It's a, it's a big booming oil town. And, you know, it deals with their relationship with the oil industry and climate change. Um, and then there's another book uh, by Jake Biddle called The Great Displacement, um, it, which traces like how Americans have been moved around due to the force of climate change. That all said, there's a lot of interesting fiction that deals with climate change, if not if not head on, kind of it's just like in the air. It's in the vibes. It's like you know. But actually, one of my favorite books this year. Um, it's called Landscapes by Christine Lai. Uh, it's it's kind of a dystopian almost. It takes place in the not too far off future. Um, it's about this woman who has to tend to a manor where there is a lot of um, art that's decaying. And because of like climate change, you know, there's a, there's a whole bunch of like natural disasters and stuff like that. And all this art, she's like in charge of preserving. Um, but there's a, a really interesting discussion as to like why care so much about art in the face of something huge and devastating like climate change. Oh, that's such an interesting conversation. Wow. I love that. OK. Landscapes by Christine Lai. Um, how about something for kids young at heart? Uh, what recommendations do you have for that? Yeah, there's a lot of really fun kids books. Um, I, I think, um, let's see, there's um, one of my favorites is, is, is um, Mexi Kid by uh, Pedro Martin. Um, it's about uh, it's about this kid who uh, has to like hop in an RV and go on a family road trip to pick up his grandfather in, in Mexico. Um, and it is you, you can say it's like um like oh it's about family and it's about connection and it, and and it is about all those things but there's a lot of like poo poo pee pee humor in it <laughs> you know that, that that's like that are really enticed like not just young readers I was like oh that's funny I like that joke <laughs> that's a good read. yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh that's um, a good way to be the favorite Anne at Thanksgiving I love that <laughs> yeah yeah um and then there's um Who to F cares by Huda Fami um that's a it's a sequel to her book Who to F for you um and and it's this uh like illustrated you know graphic novel about uh you know 
daily Muslim life for for like a teenage girl. That that's also a really fun read. Oh, awesome! So that was Mexi Kid by Pedro Martin and Who the F Cares by Hudafami. Great title. <laughs> what, I imagine really when she good. found the when she found the bit for, for her, absolutely she was like, nailed it. I got this. And like it's a little naughty, yeah. right? So who's who's not gonna love that? Yeah, exactly. So we have time for one more, I think. So a lot of there's, you know, going back to the whole like di- like threads thing, like just like you know looking at the list in general. There's a lot of um, deep dives into like very specific topics. You know, there's there's a book about ice. There's a book about uh, pockets. There's a book about the egg. There's a book about glitter. Um, but one of the one of the biggest um, <laughs> one of the biggest books uh, that we got on the list this year is um, Raw Dog: The Naked Truth About Hot Dogs by Jamie Loftus. <laughs> and it's, have you read it? No, I listen to a podcast that she's on all the time. Yeah, and she's great, right? She's so funny, and and it's her. It's I don't I don't know if it's fair to call it a travelogue, but it is a, a deep examination of like hot dogs right across the country and what it means to us and i don't i don't know necessarily know if it it, like we arrive at a better understanding of of you know these great american united states um but it it, you come to a great understanding about hot dogs (laughs) i love that this book like keeps coming up i feel like someone out there really wants me to read it so i'll have to check right yeah for me too yeah (laughs) exactly yeah all right i know you need to get going I need to get to the library, obviously. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, Andrew, please remind us where we can find books we love. Um, yeah, I mean, if you just like go to npr.org slash books we love, um, you'll be able to find it. Uh, you know, it'll, it'll, you'll get there. I trust you. Yeah, faith. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Andrew Limbong, thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Caitlin. That was NPR's Andrew Limbong, a reporter on the Arts Desk and host of NPR's Book of the Day podcast. He spoke with IPR producer Caitlin Troutman. Coming up, we'll learn about the experiences of people in the greater Des Moines area who live unsheltered, homeless. After a short break, it's River to River from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. Can we heal the environment? In Kansas, we're working on it. Up From Dust is a podcast about how humans reshaped the world to fit urban landscapes and agricultural needs. We'll meet the people who are rolling up their sleeves to find more sustainable ways forward. Listen to Up From Dust from KCUR, part of the NPR Network. I'm Ben Kiefer, and today you're listening to an archive edition of our program. It's River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. This hour, we revisit homelessness. What is it like not to have a home? What are the circumstances that lead someone to have to live without shelter, a permanent shelter, a home? In just a few minutes, we'll dig into a new study on the experiences of people in the greater Des Moines area who live unsheltered. These are people who live on the streets or in places not intended for human habitation. Uh, We'll hear about that report from those involved with it. Here's a distressing statistic to ponder. On any given night, there are nearly 3,000 people in our state who are homeless. That's nine homeless individuals for every 10,000 Iowans, according to the National Alliance to End Homelessness. Let's meet an Iowan 
who used to be homeless. Anthony Cruz joins us. He works now at the Lighthouse Center in Washington, Iowa. Uh, The Lighthouse is an emergency shelter for food, furniture, clothing assistance as well, some counseling services. And uh, Anthony joins us uh, from Washington, Iowa today. Anthony Cruz, welcome to our program. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Uh, first of all, let's hear a little bit about uh, where you work now. Uh, Lighthouse provides, as I said, uh, emergency shelter, food, furniture, clothing, assistance, some counseling. Tell us a little bit about the Lighthouse and your work there. Uh, the Lighthouse, yeah, like you said, it's an emergency shelter. Basically, uh, anybody within the Washington County area who needs shelter can come there. We do have not stipulations, but requirements for that. But at the same time, most of those requirements are just to keep people safe, you know, and to keep everybody that's there already has problems. They don't need any more. So we try to keep it as safe as possible, as well as try to help them move forward in their lives. It's not just an emergency shelter. We are a ministry. So we do try to introduce people to Christianity without forcing it on them. Basically, the shelter, you know, runs 24 hours a day as far as that goes. We take calls 24 hours a day, but right now we have uh, several people living there. We have two families living there, um, a single mother and two children, as well as other people who have their family. We try to invite anybody in, you know, that needs shelter, not just for shelter, but we try, like I said, to help them move forward in their lives. As you gathered from my introduction, we're, we're trying to understand the better the, the reasons for homelessness and, and the barriers to those um, seeking um, permanent shelter. Uh, I understand you uh, were homeless uh, off and on for some 15 years. Take us back and tell us a little bit about your, your youth, the factors you see to leading to your later homelessness. As many people, you know, my homelessness began when I was a child. You know, being in a tormented childhood, you know, as far as that goes, it was really rough growing up. I had uh, several factors that played into that, growing up a single child. And, you know, my mom, you know, wasn't really well-to-do or set off. So basically, you know, she would do the best she could. And we encountered, you know, of course, my dad, who wasn't a very good person. He was very abusive. And uh, then we were with my stepdad and he was very abusive as well an alcoholic and things of that nature very violent and used to shoot at us while we were running through fields you know trying to get away from him oh my just gosh. very abusive relationship and factors that led up to you know me eventually moving out and carrying those things with me as an adult and i'm not saying you can't change what you're an adult but those things do affect you because that is part of your growing process. You know, sure. and then becoming homeless, you know, I'd become addicted to alcohol without knowing it. I became an alcoholic because that's what I chose to use as my coping mechanism. And as I got older, it got worse. And, you know, eventually, you know, you become a full-blown alcoholic. And then homelessness, you know, ensues because you can't keep a job, you can't keep a place because constantly drunk and so you end up homeless and out on the street nowhere to go you know your family's had enough other people have had enough so once you're homeless you know you try the best you can to move around and do things to support yourself 
it's not always easy. Society's not very accepting of people that are homeless, you know, because they don't want to look at the underlying causes that people have when they're yeah. homeless. Recall for us, Anthony, recall for us, since we're talking about being unsheltered, recall for some, just so we get a sense of some of the places you've sheltered, especially overnight uh, during those uh, years when you were homeless. Um, I've stayed pretty much everywhere. I've stayed in abandoned buildings. I've stayed at construction work sites. I've stayed in shelters. Um, Shelter wasn't always an option because you may show up drunk or you may not get there on time. Things prevents you from getting there and once you do get to the shelter you like i said you may not be able to stay because if you're intoxicated or you know under the influence of some other drug they may ask you to leave so a lot of times i have stayed in uh i think probably the most bizarre place i ever stayed i live i stayed in a mcdonald's cardboard recycling bin one night because it was raining out and it was the only place i could find that was open that I could have shelter out of the rain. In a McDonald's recycling bin, you sheltered? Yeah, yeah, we're sheltered for a night um, because, like I said, it was raining, so I had to get out of the rain. It was cold out, probably about, I don't know, maybe 30, 35 degrees out, something like that. It was pretty cold, so. Anthony, to understand a little bit more of the mindset of of people, uh, well, you in this case, when you are homeless, uh, what what are your chief concerns every day, day in and day out? What do you have in your mind? I suppose when the weather turns cold, it's it's staying warm, staying out of that cold rain or, or snow. Absolutely, you know you want to try to find some place where you can go for the day. If if you have if you can get into the shelter at night, you try you have to go somewhere during the day because you know most shelters aren't open during the day. So you know you may have to go sit at a McDonald's or something and. You know, eventually those places ask you to leave because they don't want homeless people sitting in their lobbies or in their, you know, facility. If you're not a consumer or buying something, you know, then they'll ask you to leave. So then you got to find somewhere else to go. A lot of times I was homeless in Kansas City, and I remember I had to ride the streetcar many times, just sit there and ride for hours on end because there was nowhere to go. And you know, you go to these places, and like I said, eventually they ask you to leave because they realize you're homeless, and they realize that you're not buying anything or you're not, you know, contributing to their business. So, you know, which is understandable to some degree, but at the same time, it's like I'm just looking for a place to go, so I'm out of the weather. And, and, and you have changed your life. You're now helping others who were are in situations similar to you were in. And I, I, I understand it's been just a few years that you uh, now— found a home, I suppose. The Lighthouse Center is a home of sorts and a home in Washington, Iowa, right? Exactly. Uh, Not everybody's the same. Not everybody goes through the same things and not everybody has the same problems. You know, like I said, homelessness can, even if you didn't have the problems when you became homeless, you develop problems. You know, you develop issues, mental, you know, stability, you know, because being in a state of flux all the time, your mental status isn't very healthy. For me, yeah, I came to the Lighthouse two and a half years ago, basically was at the end of my rope. You know, for me, you know, being a Christian, you know, I'm going to say God led me here. He put me in the homeless mm-hmm. shelter, and he put me in this position to get me out of where I was at. Because my last words to God before I came were, you know, either fix me or kill me. That's how desperate I've become. Yeah. 
and you're there to, to help others. Exactly. Um, my whole goal here is to help people move forward. You know, it's not just to give them shelter for night. You know, you can get that anywhere. You can go sleep under a bridge or something like that. We want them yeah. to be able to move back into life, to have a good life. You know, that's what we want for everybody. You know, being, We've had the same experiences they have, so being in that position, we want them to have the same experiences we're having now as far as moving forward in life and, you know, having a heart of peace, a mind of peace. You know, if your heart and mind are constantly in turmoil, it's hard to have a good life. So. Yeah. Uh, Anthony, if you can, well, you'll lead us into the next discussion we have um, with those involved with this study in Polk County. But one of the chief questions uh, they are looking at and they looked at in this survey is, you know, the chief barriers to finding permanent housing once you're unsheltered, once you're homeless. How would you answer that? What is the help there? What is the best way to get people away from living out of doors in, in really some extreme circumstances in your experience? I mean, it's, it's a learning process. You have to teach people how to integrate back into that life. It begins basic. You know, you have to start, you know, at the bottom. You have to teach them good hygiene practices again. You have to teach them how to. We have chores at the shelter where, you know, they sweep, they do dishes, things of that nature. But these are everything, everyday things that you do, you know, in life. So you have to kind of, they have to relearn it. Now, as far as just moving into a place, that's always a process because there's always waiting lists, you know, for certain homes and certain places where they can get into. Because not everybody has the greatest, you know, background as far as renting or as far as their credit history. So they're limited on to the places they can actually move into. So there's always a waiting list for certain housing. There's always a waiting list to get into mental services, things of that nature. So. I'd say the biggest issue is, you know, society has become uh, desensitized to other people. So it's hard to move around in society when people just look at you like you don't exist. Well, Anthony, you've given us so much to think about and um, keep up the incredibly important work, it sounds like, that you're doing at the Lighthouse Center there in Washington, Iowa. Anthony Cruz, um, not too long ago, spent um, 15 years off and on uh, homeless uh, here in the States, and and, uh, you've given us plenty to think about as we continue with this discussion. Anthony, take care of yourself and take care of those who, who visit your center. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. Take care. Thank you. Today we're listening back to a program from earlier this year. We're wrapping our minds around the experience of being homeless, having no permanent shelter, no home, and the barriers preventing the unsheltered from finding a permanent dwelling. When we return after a short break, we'll examine a study on the experiences of people in the greater Des Moines area who live unsheltered, people who live on the streets or in places not intended for human habitation. We'll hear my conversation from February with Elizabeth Talbert. She's co-author of the Unsheltered Des Moines Study. Also, Angie Arthur, Executive Director of Homeward Iowa. And we'll hear from Janae Peterman about a Cedar Rapids area nonprofit serving people experiencing homelessness in other parts of the state. I'm Ben Kiefer. It's River to River from IPR News. 
the environment? In Kansas, we're working on it. Up From Dust is a podcast about how humans reshaped the world to fit urban landscapes and agricultural needs. We'll meet the people who are rolling up their sleeves to find more sustainable ways forward. Listen to Up From Dust from KCUR, part of the NPR Network. You're listening to an archive edition of River to River from Iowa Public Radio News. Let's continue our conversation about the homeless uh, uh, and uh, focus in on Polk County, exploring a new study on the experiences of people in the greater Des Moines area who live unsheltered. Joining us now, Elizabeth Talbert. Uh, Elizabeth is Assistant Professor of Sociology at Drake University in our Des Moines studio. Uh, Professor Talbert, Elizabeth, if I may, welcome to our program. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Elizabeth is the co-author of this study, the Unsheltered Des Moines Study, a long-term collaboration between Drake, University of Researchers, and Polk County Partners. Uh, Angie Arthur is with us as well in our Des Moines studio, Executive Director of Homeward Iowa, and you are the organization that released this study. Angie, welcome to you. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Let's start with you, Elizabeth. Give us an overview of the study. What was the study about, and, and why did you conduct it? Well, I was approached by um, some folks working on the Homeless Coordinating Council and with about homelessness in Des Moines and Polk County about a year ago. And my, my background is in doing pretty large-scale qualitative research. And lived experiences of people like Anthony, other people living unsheltered, are really important to understanding the best kind of policies and programming that, you know, we, we end up doing as a community f- to help them. And I worked with a great group of people to uh, create a survey and then ultimately um, an interview guide to ask people about their lives. I worked with a group of about six undergraduates from Drake over Mm -hmm. the summer. We went out and we went to a bunch of places all over the Polk County area, mostly in Des Moines. We walked the sidewalks downtown. We walked the skyways. We went to camps, we went to soup kitchens, um, and really tried to get as many voices of folks who have had experience living unsheltered in Polk County as we could. Um, Why I did the study, I think it's incredibly important to listen and to hear what people like Anthony and other people who have lived in these very precarious conditions have to say. Um, and, And I think we can do a lot with their experiences to try to change the way we do things for the better. Mm -hmm. So, Elizabeth, uh, you mentioned the undergraduates involved in this study. Did you do some of the interviews as well? I I did, yes. So Mm -hmm. I I trained the undergraduates, um, and they did a lot. You know, we collected 150 surveys over the course of about two Mm -hmm. months and did did Mm -hmm. 37 full in-depth interviews. So needed a staff of of some really good people and and Mm -hmm. had it. But, yeah, I did do quite a few interviews myself. So what we just heard from Anthony there, he's not a, a resident of uh, Polk County, but it, some of the themes, the things that he said must be very familiar to you and those involved in this study. Absolutely. Yeah. I um, wrote a few notes while I was listening to him. Sure. And, you know, one thing that kept coming back, um, people have asked me, what, what are some of the, you know, underlying conditions? And the one thing that's really seems to be 
in everyone's background is some kind of trauma. You know, we, we've faced a lot of trauma as a, uh, a nation, but, but these folks who are, who are dealing with such precarious living conditions have a lot of trauma in their past, kind of like Anthony says. Hearing him talk about wanting a peaceful spot, you know, making sure there's some kind of peace in, yeah. in life. You know, we, we heard that from folks. One of the uh, questions we asked in the survey was, what do you like about living outside? Um, about a quarter of the folks said, nothing, um, which is not completely understandable. Others said, well, it's peaceful. And I think that that's such a change from some of the conditions that they have lived in and, and you know, expect to live in in the future as well. So yeah. I, and I think the, the search for a real home, a place that is not just shelter, but a place of belonging, a place of safety and a place of autonomy. That's one thing we heard over and over and over again. Yeah, that's so fascinating. The distinction between merely having a shelter and having a home, all the things that are bound up in that word home. Angie Arthur, let me turn to you, uh, Executive Director of Homeward uh, Iowa. Uh, talk to us a little bit about your role in this survey. Sure. We are help facilitating a group um, that was looking at extreme weather. And um, with that, we really wanted to discuss how we can better serve folks who are unsheltered. And so we were able to really think it's important to learn from folks with their lived experience to be able to incorporate that with our best practices and evidence-based practices. And with that, we're able to connect with Elizabeth and Dr. Talbert and the work that she's done previously and understand the different um, research efforts that she's done. So went with them and then also partnered with other funders within the community to help move this work forward. Uh, it's really, I think, an important tool for us to be able to look at things from a systematic viewpoint, mm -hmm. to look at how we can move forward with this lived experience expertise with the folks that do the hard work and the staff that do the hard work on the day in and day out basis and pair that with that lived experience, uh, like I said, expertise, as well as that evidence-based practices. Yeah. Back to you, Elizabeth. What were your chief findings? I mean, it must be so many interesting quotes, uh, passages from these interviews, experiences that you and the undergraduates at Drake had in really trying to step into the shoes of people who are unsheltered. Well, um, and I, I encourage everybody who's listening to go and download the full report from the Homeward website. Um, you know, we wrote a lot in this report about the barriers to seeking emergency shelter and why people choose to sleep outside as opposed to um, going going to shelter. Um, you know, those barriers include things like not really wanting to be around that many other people who have similarly tough lives. One of the quotes that stands out to me, uh, we were surveying this summer when we were still doing the, the shorter surveys, and one guy looked at us and said, well, you know, imagine having a hundred other roommates. I will take Iowa mosquitoes over that any day. Yeah, and I, su um, I suppose there's the possibility of being abused by fellow homeless people. Exactly. Well. There's a safety issue on both sides, right? People feel unsafe outside. There's, you know, a lack of lack of security in living in a tent or living, you know, on a bench. But there's also a feeling of a lack of safety even when you're around a lot of other people and not quite sure who they are or what might happen. Yeah. Elizabeth, did you find that the unsheltered people in your survey and in your interviews fell into different categories? I imagine there are some, well, gender is one category. You could comment on that or whether they'd been, you know, homeless, unsheltered for a long period of time or relatively short. 
That's a great question as well. We actually looked at kind of how long people had been outside, and it broke down pretty much along about one-fifth, one-fifth, uh, one-fifth. A lot of people had been out for less than a month, and some people had been living outside for six years or longer. It was it was all across that spectrum. As far as gender goes, we talked to more people who identify as men, but there were quite a few women as well. Um, one of the things that we found in the report is that women have a specifically difficult time if they're single and seeking shelter because there is no dedicated shelter for women yet. In Polk County, um, there are family shelters and there are shelters that are co-ed, but women sometimes feel less safe than than men might in the shelter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Angie, what are the chief ways you will use this information gathered by this survey? We have the opportunity to share this information with our community members, our elected officials, as well as um, other service providers. So what we'll look at that as the findings and what we can do um, from a response perspective. I think it's the important thing to understand it's going to take the entire Polk County community to be invested in the work and to help our community members who are unsheltered to access that safe, affordable, and that permanent housing that we have. Okay. Let's uh, talk a little bit more about, uh, Elizabeth, to you. Based on the findings, uh, what are the recommendations uh, that uh, you would make based on this study? Recommendations, uh, we, we kind of split them into three levels. The first being, it's cold right now. It's winter. We don't want people to perish outside. It is hard to live outside in the winter. And, and so just making sure we can encourage as many people as possible to come in. And for those folks who are going to try to survive outside, you know, keeping up and making sure we're, we're checking in on them, making sure that nobody nobody loses their life because of the cold this winter. Mm. Um, in the medium term, you know, maybe kind of starting to trend toward this idea of non-congregate shelter. We kept hearing from people about the need for privacy, about the desire to have one's own door um, to close in the evening. Mm. Starting to think about how we do emergency shelter in the area and, and if there's a way to move toward single rooms or, or you know, one roommate as opposed to 50. And then long term, there are very few things that are going to do as much as providing more affordable, subsidized, and and sometimes um, supportive housing to people who need it and who really want a home and want to be able to provide for themselves, ultimately. Angie Arthur, when you hear these recommendations, are there real surprises here? Are there eye-opening comments or conclusions, Uh, perhaps, uh, you know, uh, around Iowa, you know, in, in the various organizations that uh, try to help the homeless, there are perhaps policies that may be well-intentioned but really don't help much? Sure. I, I think what the report did for us, it affirmed a lot of things that we had anecdotal information for, mm-hmm. but didn't have the data to support that understanding. I think sometimes, like, for example, there's a perception that people want to be outside. And when you look at the report, 141 of the 140 three people that responded to that, they're like, they confirmed that people want overwhelmingly that safe, affordable place to call home where they can share it with their family, friends, and their pets. So that is something that's really important. Um, I 
I would also say and agree with Elizabeth, it highlights the need for affordable housing, mm-hmm. not just in Polk County, but across the state. Mm-hmm. That is something that's a gap for us and affordable housing for extremely poor individuals as well as moderate income individuals. Yeah. So those are those things um, that I think will be helpful. I think it will also We'll, you know, be able to look at some of those conversations with funders and folks within our communities about what those individual community needs are. Every community is unique and has unique services and unique gaps for them. But also that concept of compassion and dignity. I think that's important to remind folks of as they do the hard work every day of of providing services to folks, but also to think about how that happens and how they can best support individuals with that dignity and compassion in the work that we do. Yeah, we heard, you reminded me of something, you know, we heard from Anthony Mm -hmm. earlier is, you know, that we've become as a society desensitized to those who don't have homes. We see them every day in our communities and pretty much ignore them. So we need Angie, to, to correct that, but I guess the question is how? That's a, I, I, this is Elizabeth again, and I, and I really, I wrote that down when Anthony said it. You know, we've become desensitized to other people. And as much as we hope this report will, um, you know, improve policy um, and, and programming for our unsheltered neighbors, I also hope it, it serves to sensitize us a little more to the humanness of this problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth and Angie, let's uh, add to our conversation uh, Janae Peterman. Uh, Janae is the Director of Housing Services at Waypoint in Lynn County. I understand. uh, Welcome, Janae, to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I understand uh, Waypoint helps individuals through rapid rehousing and homeless prevention programs uh, to help uh, obtain permanent housing. Tell us about Lynn County. How bad is the unsheltered problem in uh, Eastern Iowa there in Lynn County. Sure. Um, we're kind of seeing, as all other communities are, right, we're seeing our, our unsheltered population increase. But the interesting thing is we are seeing our shelter census decrease. So just like this study pointed out, is individuals who are experiencing homelessness, who emergency shelters are designed to serve, are saying we exactly what Angie just mentioned. We want a place to call home that we have our own autonomy over. We don't want to shelter. There are barriers that we have to accessing emergency shelter or that make it comfortable for us to be there in the meantime. So whether you're in a rural community or an urban center, right, um, we are recognizing that the solution to ending homelessness is truly affordable housing with wraparound supports. Mm-hmm. I understand, Janae, you, you've read this Unsheltered Des Moines study, uh, this collaboration between Drake and Polk County partners here. What's your reaction? What did you find most interesting, useful for your work in Lynn County? It reaffirmed what we are seeing. You know, we are here locally, we are driving. How do we increase our housing capacity and increase our housing program so that we are more effective at ending homelessness for individuals? Um, And reading this report and also reading the quotes, the direct quotes from individuals reaffirmed that what we're seeing here is, is, it seems to be the viewpoint um, across the state of individuals that are are unsheltered and seeking housing. And that does it for this edition of River to River. River to River is a production of Iowa Public Radio News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.